0: I don't know, yeah, because people was, was talking about, like, I to hunger a lot, and I just, like, didn't have it, and then one day, like, you you know when you have it, because you're so ravaging hungry, like, you'll wake up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. and be panicking, like, you need food, and you're, you're just shoving food into your mouth, because your body, like, almost was, like, in so much pain, because you're, like, starving, even though maybe you just ate, like, four hours before, it was just, it was just, you're so hungry, and then you'll be eating food and you'll eat like a huge double burger and then it didn't even feel like you ate anything
1: welcome to the hiking through podcast I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike Today's guest is Starburst, known off-trail as Jennifer Mavis. She solo-hiked the PCT in 2018, and in this episode, we talk about how and why she maintained her soloness on the trail, some challenges with altitude, and purposefully facing fears, even when particularly when a mountain lion seems to be following you. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Starburst. Hi. Oh, hey. Did you miss not being on the trail this summer?
0: Oh, I definitely did. Well, there's there's two parts to that. <laughs> it's uh I I really did miss it and it's it was sometimes like hard to to watch other people hiking and because I know or knew what they were going through. But at the same time, it was really great to to not have to hike 30 <laughs> miles a day every day. I could sleep in a nice warm bed, you know, you know, there's, I can, you know, basically use a flushable
1: toilet. All <laughs> so. oh, the simple pleasures. <laughs> yes. I am infinitely curious about all things through hiking and particularly all things PCT. So, you know, whatever, whatever you want to share is perfect. So. Okay, great. Yeah, because,
0: um. I saw you are planning on hiking next
1: year. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. for fighting. Yeah. <laughs> it. There was a point in time this summer where I was like, God, I wish I was on the trail. Then I wouldn't have to be worried and think about all of these other things that are going on in my life. Yeah. Um, right. It would be simpler, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Did you find it simpler? To be hiking? Yeah. Instead of we your-
0: are normal, go to work, social life. Yes. It's extremely simple compared to what we in like a first world country probably have to deal with every day. Um, you have, um, you basically are just running through a set of like the same motions and actions every day. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're just, you know, uh, putting your tent down every day, packing up and eating and walking and going to the bathroom and eating some more, walking, and then, you know, setting up your tent or your shelter, sleeping, and then you, you do that all over again every day. So it's very simple in those terms for sure. But it can also be, at least for me, it was sometimes more draining, obviously physically, yeah, And then mentally, because you're not as distracted as mm-hmm. you are in your like normal, I keep saying normal life. And that's just, you know, going to work and being around family, friends, etc. Yeah. But you have so much more time to think. And that can actually make things not so simple in your mind. Because, you know, experiences will come come up or memories that you don't even remember that you had and it forces you to address them and think about them and all of that. And so at times it wasn't as simple.
1: Did you find that happening a lot? Uh, No, I was going to literally say, particularly in the beginning when it was more flat and you didn't have to worry about the mountains and the Alpine and all of that good stuff. Well,
0: in the beginning, um, there's there's still some good hills to climb, so it's not super flat. So <laughs> Sorry. it was it a um, no, it's okay. It's um, it was still you know physically challenging in the beginning, but in the beginning you're, for me, I was so excited, and mm-hmm. it was just like the fact that I was on the Pacific Crest Trail, just really like I couldn't believe it. I felt like it was like this dream and this fantasy coming to life. So my thoughts were basically just focus on that and then meeting all these new people. But after, I don't know, maybe a month of that, you know, you start to get in a routine. And then for me, that's when just, you know, your mind just starts to almost not get bored, but you know, it starts to pull up memories from past experiences or, or you just start thinking about the most random things. And then a lot of hikers will actually contemplate you know what they want to do with their life dreams their current relationships their past relationships a whole bunch of things and then I would come across other hikers and they would be having like so much turmoil over something and they couldn't do anything about it because they were out hiking so that's what that's what I mean is like sometimes it wasn't as simple but but through hiking in general you're just walking you know you filter water you eat food you walk you sleep and you repeat mm-hmm. so it just depends how you look at it
1: did you find yourself like as you were as you were thinking about these things and coming to conclusions or resolving or not resolving as the case may be i guess in the as, to, to take your phrase in the normal world in the in real life <laughs> you think something through you resolve it and then you take action on it But if you're out there, you can't really take action, so to speak, a lot of times. So, are you just jotting yourself notes? Remember to,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, I would sometimes get out my phone and definitely write in, like, in my notes section, Mm -hmm. like ideas I had for various, you know, various things, Um, whether it was like career-wise or things I wanted to do, or just little tiny things I needed, um, to remind myself in the future. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, it's like, um, some people would think like, I can't be in this relationship anymore, or I need to quit my job, like, officially now. Or people were like, I don't want to, I want to go seek this opportunity that's happening in a few weeks, but they, they have to get off trail to do that. And so it, it makes things very complicated if you're not fully ready to be on the trail. And so like some, some good advice someone gave gave me while I was already hiking, but that I now try to share with others is if you want to successfully do something like the Pacific Crest trail and hike it from beginning to end, you have to be fully committed and ready to be on the trail So you can't, or it'd be very hard to leave things in your life that may potentially like try to pull you away from the trail. And I don't know if that makes sense.
1: It totally makes sense.
0: Right. Like you want to make sure that your relationships are as strong and stable as possible. Your finances are strong and stable because it's really easy to you know, be pulled off trail or want to get off trail to try to fix things or deal with things that you can't, you can't fix while you're hiking.
1: Right. And, and I would assume also that when things get a little hard, those other things that could pull you off the trail even seem more tantalizing.
0: Yes. It's like almost at that point you're trying to find an excuse. Yeah. Because there's many times that most people just think about quitting it's just something that happens in those kinds of journeys. And so when you have maybe something like lingering over your head, um, that could have been resolved or that doesn't really need to be resolved. But it's an easy way to do that. I, I need to leave the trail to go deal with, you know, whatever that is. And so um, for me, though, thankfully, I didn't have anything like that. And so the things that would, I guess, complicate my brain are things that I have no control over emotionally but you know like it it was just my emotions that I needed to just kind of like work through about things that maybe happened even years ago that don't really matter to this day so thankfully I didn't have anything that was like really teasing me to to get off trail but I do I do know people who who definitely left because like their home life or something wasn't wasn't doing very well
1: right yeah that struggle is that struggle is real when when you have those sort of situations happening as opposed to you're finding an excuse to get off of trail right but it
0: it's interesting because you know a lot of people actually seek to do trails like this to find healing yes so it's really I think that just shows what something like a, a long hike can do for a human being it It's not the same for anybody. It's not going to be everybody's hike is going to be different. Everyone's going through something different. And so I think whatever, like whatever reason someone wants to hike, you just have to be fully like committed and um, vulnerable to the
1: process. Did you start with that? Or was that something that, that sort of evolved along the way? Being vulnerable to the process?
0: I, I think that's something that for me happened along the way. I knew it was hiking was going to be challenging. Um, I wasn't going out there to like find feel yourself in any way. Right. I just was like, this looks awesome. Right. You know, I was like, this looks like the coolest adventure. And if I'm going to try to do this, but it, but along the way, like I said, just, you know, certain things in myself were changing a lot of good things, but, like I said, maybe about like a month in, I was starting to think about just really wild memories I've had and experiences I've had. And so I would get really frustrated and like, I'd be hiking and crying and just like (laughs) kind of yelling, you know, no one's around, but I would be so frustrated because I was like, where are these feelings coming from? Like, I can't do anything about it now. Um, Mm -hmm. But it like, There's nothing I can do about it. And there's just, there's no like instant gratification on the trail. So it's not like, let's say maybe I felt those things in my normal life. Um, I don't even know what I would do to cope with it, but like you couldn't do it on the trail. So, you know, like, let's say maybe if I feel sad, I might get in bed and watch a movie
2: Mm -hmm.
0: or, you know what I'm saying? Like, or go grab something to eat with friends or whatever, but you can't do that on the trail you have to just like, there's, there's none of that there. So you just have to like face it. And so it forced me to be vulnerable to that, which, um, which I think is one of the reasons why I was successful in hiking is because I was just open to the, the whole process, even though I didn't understand what that meant when I started.
1: Did people warn you about that before you started? Um,
0: I don't, I don't recall anyone really like warning me. I, you know, I've heard people talk, talk about their own journeys, but I, I just heard a lot of people hiking because of, like I said, trying to find healing or Mm -hmm. it was a dream since they were a child. And I just didn't relate to any of those experiences. So I wasn't really sure what to expect for myself.
1: How did you hear about the trail?
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) i see i don't even remember i think yes someone asked me that like two years ago and i honestly was like i don't remember the first time i heard about the pacific crest trail i've heard about you know the appalachian trail Mm -hmm. gosh like years and years ago it could have been from a movie or something but i it wasn't like i had this instant like the pacific crest trail what is that i have to do it it was just something that like I heard about it at one point, but it wasn't very significant in my brain. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, um, and then it, th- of course, like the, the book and the movie wild came out
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's not, that's not why I chose to hike, but I think that just like brought the Pacific crest trail back to the forefront of my mind. Like, Oh, that seems cool. And then I moved up to Washington state and then started hiking a lot more. And then, Obviously, the Pacific Crest Trail goes through Washington. So I just think I just heard about it more, you know. And then one day I was like, that seems really awesome. You know, I really was just like, there was no real deep meaning to it. (laughs) I was just like, like people just like leave their jobs or, you know, just for five, six months and they just go hike in the woods. And I just somehow just couldn't stop thinking about it. It became like every day, like I was fantasizing about it and almost obsessing over it, and I don't know where it came from, <laughs> which is just crazy to me. That was, it was just wild.
1: <laughs> it's almost like, and I'm finding this in my own life right now, or maybe I'm paying attention to it more in my life right now. That certain things will start to start to happen in kind of like patterns of three. Okay. Where you'll start to hear something, or you'll see something that you've never seen or or noticed before and you notice it and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden you, you you know, a week goes by, a month goes by, whatever. And you see it again or hear it again. You're like, Oh, wait a second. Maybe I should be paying attention. And then when I hear it the third time, I'm like, Oh, okay. I really should be paying attention to this. Yeah. And, and I bet
0: that's like what was happening to me, but I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it was just finally like so much in my face so much to the point that I just couldn't stop thinking about it.
1: <laughs> what did you tell people when they asked you if you were hiking by yourself? Oh God, I mean,
0: you know, of course people always just would say like, oh, you need to have a weapon or you should be in groups. And I, you know, I was just like, I'm hiking, I'm hiking by myself because I, I like to do my own thing." you know, I am very, even in my normal day life, I, I really, I like to leave when I want to leave. You know, I, I'm not very good at like following other people with (laughs) something like this, you know? I mean, it was just like, this was my, my dream for myself. And I, I wanted it, this experience to be authentic to me. And if I felt like I was doing a certain amount of miles just because other people were doing those same amount of miles or, you know, Mm -hmm. stopping in this town when I wanted to go into another town or, you know, whatever it could be. Um, I feel like I would have really regretted that at the end and really questioned if it, if I was doing it for myself or for other people. So I don't know, I just, I would just tell people that it was more enjoyable for me to, to hike alone, Mm -hmm. you know, and be kind of like my own little lone ranger, but thankfully, like on the trail, not, not many people really cared. It was more of like the strangers, you know, or people on the outside or family or friends worrying, worrying about me, but there, there there's still so many people out on the trail, especially in the beginning that I, I could, a lot of the time, you know, if I felt unsafe or something, get myself in a, in a situation where I was around people I felt comfortable with. But whether you, you hike alone or with like a group, you know, your experience is going to be awesome.
1: Yeah. It, it's going to be life-changing and memorable. Yes. Are, are
0: you going to be hiking alone or do you, are you going with someone?
1: I am hiking solo. But as I okay. keep... Because t- I keep getting that question. You're hiking solo. Okay. Are you sure you're hiking yeah. solo? Like, should you be hiking solo? And and my, my answer to that right now is... Okay, yes, I am hiking so co- solo, but there are so many people starting the trail now that most likely you'll be hiking or I'll be hiking in and around a group of people. That that group may change as time passes, but there'll be a group of people around, essentially.
0: Oh, yes, most definitely. And, you know, you might find a group of people that you want to be with till the end. That mm-hmm. happens a lot, too. So, yeah, if, that's what's great about this trail, I think, is that you could be as alone as you want, or as around people as much as you want.
1: So, and how did you choose to balance that for yourself?
0: I would just about every day, um, well, every day, pretty much. I would make a goal of you know just that day. It was it was very hard for me to make big goals like I'm just going to walk to Canada because that was very overwhelming <laughs> for me. So. Um, I usually like how my mind worked was I would plan how to get to the next town, you know, how many miles, how many days, how much food. But then every morning I would wake up and I would be like, okay, I need to hike 18 miles today on average. And then I would plan out my, my campsite from there. And I'd be like, Oh, there's a, looks like there's a good camp spot in 18.6 miles. So then that would be my goal. And so how I would basically gauge like if I hiked with people or not is mm-hmm. if if I can meet my goal or not, you know, and so you know if a group of people decided that they were gonna stop in nine miles and just like hang out for the rest of the day, for me, I had to be like, okay, can I hike you know with them and and cut my cut my day short, or is it gonna?" you know, push me getting into a town later and therefore messing up X, Y, and Z, you know? And so I, I just had to make sure like I was meeting my personal goals and making sure it wasn't affecting like my timeline to be successful. So that was basically my, my rationale.
1: So you were able to kind of keep your autonomy because um, I hear so many stories from people where they start out the trail, and they're solo, and they're going to hike th- their own hike and, and all of that. And then they get sucked into some sort of trail family. And all of a sudden, it becomes about the trail family's goals for the day or for, right. you know whatever. And it becomes about staying with that family, because they don't want to be by themselves, or, or they don't want to leave these people that they've fallen in love with, basically.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's you hit it right on the head. And, you know, some people want that. And that's great. Um, But for me, I, I didn't because I, I was around several groups, like several trail families. And people are so great, like, you know, they'd welcome me in. And sometimes I'd be with them for a few days, and then I would leave on my own. And, but things I saw was, and this is not every trail family. Um, and this, this tended to be when there was like larger groups, like we're talking like three, four or five, six. Right. Okay. Um, but in, like I said, this is not every child family I came across, but a good amount there was, or always tended to be, you know, one person who was like the leader
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they, whether the group knew it or not, but they would almost like dictate, you know, when they were hiking out, what town, where they were camping and I would see you know, people just make suggestions or whatever, but it was like one person basically was the saying yes or no. And then everyone just be like, okay, that sounds good. And so <laughs> I, and I couldn't do that. That's just not my personality. You know, I'm, I, and like, I, like a lot of times I'd be hanging with these groups. Um, and then I'm like ready to hike out, you know, and mm-hmm. then, they still want to stay for a few hours and drink beer. And for me, I'm like, I just got to go. And then how the trail works is let's say I could have hiked those people for days. And then I only left maybe two hours before them. You may never see them on the trail again.
1: Right.
0: It's really crazy how the trail works. And so, yeah, I just definitely had to always do my own thing. And this is something I, I do admire about trail families is, that usually if depending how tight knit you are, if someone gets hurt, sometimes like the family will stay with the person who's hurt or they'll skip Mm -hmm. up together so the person can heal. I I've seen that multiple times and that is fascinating. But once again, like I didn't want to skip miles because someone else is hurt. And maybe that sounds awful, but like that's why I wasn't in a trail family, you know, Mm -hmm. because it was like I just needed to do my own thing. But you know it it all it all depends. Of course, um, but that that is sometimes a consequence of being in a in a trail family.
1: Yeah, listening to you talk about it, it's it's funny. What I'm flashing back to is college anthropology class. Oh, oh yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Do you have some sort of background in anthropology?
0: (laughs) No, but I was just gonna say any um any group class in college. Yep, in general, but. What what is your experience from that?
1: It, what excuse me? What do you mean?
0: Oh, like you said, flashbacks to to anthropology oh. in
1: college, where they talk about they talk about uh, group dynamics and they talk about the different social structures. Okay. Um, you know where you have individual or you have family relationships, and then you start having uh tribal or village or you know and who is the leader of those things and how is that determined and people don't necessarily know that you know they're following unless it's very structured and like just all of the stuff that you were literally just saying just give me a flashback. Oh. It's pretty funny.
0: Oh that's perfect. Yeah because that's it, it was like I'm not kidding. Like I, I would meet a new trail family and it was like basically almost the same like same structure, same thing mm-hmm. going on. um, yeah, it, it's wild, but that works for people too. You know, like that, There's. that was a lot that was comforting for people to know, like they were never going to have to sleep alone in the woods. Mm -hmm. And there was times that I really had some very scary nights that I was just like, I am such an idiot for leaving (laughs) that group. I should have stayed and drank beer. Like I would, I would get mad at myself because I'd be so terrified even if there's nights where like nothing happened, mm-hmm. just sometimes the woods are terrifying when you're alone and it's dark and there's weird noises and you just are freaked out for some reason. And I would actually get upset at myself, at my, my stubbornness, because I just wanted to do everything my way. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is, it's very interesting,
1: the trail. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and speaking of that... How did that viewpoint change after the third mountain lion experience? Oh, I, that actually
0: still just like makes me really mad Um <laughs> because, you know, I, I'm someone who is slightly anxious. A lot of people wouldn't maybe know it, but I, I am anxious about, I do not like flying. I don't like taking public transportation. I'm scared of the dark, but I'm just someone who, <laughs> who faces all my fears like I, I just force myself to you know I fly all over the world even though I'm terrified or you know I, I just try to to do things even though I'm still scared of them mm-hmm. and so for me to like get out hike the trail and even camp alone some night in the woods by myself was so big for me it's it's big for a lot of people but after you do it for like two months you know I got pretty comfortable and confident in it mm-hmm. and i actually felt pretty safe to camp alone by myself and that was huge for me like i was really proud of myself and it just showed me like you know how how the mind works and just how it tells you lies all the time and and how like you you have to sometimes try to override what your you know what your brain is telling you because you know it's not true and so for me to To finally get to a point where I can like be alone and actually feel comfortable and safe and like I know what I'm doing, I feel pretty knowledgeable. Was great. And then when the whole it was the week in a the desolation wilderness where there's a mountain lion stalking me and it kept coming to my tent and and then yeah that third night I it was outside of my tent and I faced it and I was so mad because I felt like that just stripped away all of the security I had built up. You know, I was like everything that I, like I was putting myself in uncomfortable situations every night, like almost intentionally trying to sleep alone to, to force myself to get comfortable with it. And then, you know, every morning you wake up and you're like, look, nothing happened. I'm fine. And then you do that multiple times. And and that, that helps your confidence. And so for that mountain lion to just be like following me for whatever reason really was hard for me. And I was very, <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah, I was like, I, I almost quit or I was going to jump a couple hundred miles up north to try to get mm-hmm. out of that area because, you know, mountain lions are like territorial. They have their like areas where they, where they hunt and live and all of that. So,
2: right.
0: um, I was just going to, you know, just get out of this area basically. But I really didn't, once again, I didn't want to do that because I feel like I would have regretted it at the end. I really wanted my, I'm very stubborn. And so I was like, I wanted to hike this, this thing, you know? And so I felt very insecure on the trail after that. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want to be alone. I actually, I, it's just my pride. And this was very humbling for me, but I I went to some hikers and I was who I, who I knew, but I was like, is it okay if I tag along? Because I, I didn't have a trail family and right. people are in these tight knit groups and it, and they were so wonderful about it. It wasn't like weird at all, but I felt silly being like, Hey, I'm scared. Can I like camp with you guys for a couple of days? But yeah, I mean, I, I had to do that because I just didn't feel safe at all. And so it it took time to kind of get over that, but I, I still have that even to this day, like that, that fear of being alone and mountain <laughs> mountain lions <laughs> like around. But um, I, I did camp alone again after that, but it wasn't, it wasn't an enjoyable night
1: at all. You only did it one. You only camped alone once after that or, or just that first time after.
0: Yeah. So well. I'm, I don't remember how many exactly. It wasn't a lot. I mean, I had maybe like three or four times since then.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, I maybe camped alone. I don't exactly remember, but like the, yeah, the first night was just awful. Like nothing happened. Right. But I was so, I was just so scared. And that's what I was saying was like, it just really frustrated me, uh, because it took, it took a lot of time and energy to face my fears of just being, alone in the woods. And then I felt like I got to a point where I was like, I I've come so far and then, and then that, that mountain lion experience happened and it just like took all of my security away. So, I mean, I, I could go sleep in the woods alone right now and be scared, even though I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, but I think the whole point is it's okay to be scared. You just, you try not to let that fear like
1: dictate, dictate your life be afraid, but do it anyway.
0: Yeah. And of course there's like boundaries to that. Of course. Yes. Yeah. I mean, something like
1: if you truly
0: want to get the experience of a through hike and you love backpacking and you want to see all these different mountain ranges and meet these people and just like kind of reset, refocus, then I think facing your fear in this case is definitely worth it.
1: Yeah. It was Yeah. funny listening to your your YouTube videos as you're documenting each of the days and then you get to the mountain lion the first encounter and then the sleeping one and then you have the the night encounter or the the camping yeah. encounter. And listening to those videos at one point I just had to turn it off. I'm like this is like watching a shark movie and then going into the ocean to swim. Like it
0: just Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, and it's interesting because obviously, like, and you can tell, like, I didn't really know what was happening, Mm -hmm. like, as I'm filming, like, I'm my my brain wasn't processing what was really happening, you know, and like the first night, um, like, it came to my tent, and I actually cried that night because that was the first time where I was alone and something that I knew of happened, Mm -hmm. and just like. It was like the first time I really realized like oh my gosh I'm I'm alone in the woods like I haven't seen a PCT hiker in two whole days. Oh wow. Not okay. one. And I think I was just like in between these bubbles. Mm-hmm. So I was just like alone. And just the fact that this this large animal mountain lion just came to my tent it just like shook me with so much fear. And there was, you know, there's nothing you could do about it. I'm not going to get up and pack my stuff and start walking into the night. Right. Like I have to sit there and I try to go to sleep. And so, but when I woke up the next day, I just kind of brushed it off because I'm like, what are the chances that this is going to happen again? And then obviously like for you you know that next, right. The next few days, I was in for a treat. Um, (laughs) But it was like, I just, I couldn't believe it. But, you know, it, it, the the night that I, I saw a mountain lion, when it came to my tent and I came went outside of my tent, literally, even though I had two other instances with the mountain lion, I still didn't think that when I heard a noise outside of my tent, I didn't even think it was a mountain lion. Because I still was like, there's no way you know, understand, you know, I was just like not fully processing what was going on, you know? And, and that, that third night I thought like a bear or something was getting my food and I wasn't even scared of a bear. Like <laughs> I, I, I got out of my tent. I, I had a rock in my hands and in my knife, I was just going to like try to scare this bear away. And it wasn't, it wasn't a bear. That was awful. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll never forget turning, and seeing the mountain lion just sitting there, it wasn't like aggressive. It wasn't like standing there, like looking at me, like it was going to attack. It was just mm-hmm. sitting there, staring at me. And it was still one of the most wild moments of my life because <laughs> I, oh gosh, that was just the weirdest feeling of being so vulnerable. Like no one was around. That, yeah. that like people people were camped. Like, I knew people were camped somewhere around me, but, like, I was
1: yelling and no one heard me.
0: You know what I'm saying? So it was yeah. like I was alone, basically. Yeah. So
1: so on the, the yeah. night that you got out of your tent with the rock and the knife... Oh, yeah. You knew it was a mountain... Because in the videos, you were talking about the next day explaining to somebody, and they were saying green eyes and, and all of that.
0: Well, okay, so this is this is something that I was really fascinated by because i got out of my tent and like i said i i had set my tent up it was already dark when i set it up and i got in my tent to get ready for bed and it was like instantly a large animal came out of the bushes it was like perfect timing Mm -hmm. like oh the human is finally inside the tent so the reason why i didn't think it was a deer was because the timing was too perfect right? I thought it was a bear and I, because I thought it was watching me and it was waiting for me to get my tent, to get my food. Cause the bears are, are very smart. I never sleep with my food in my tent. So I put my pack with my food, you know, away from my tent a bit. Right. And that's why I thought it was a bear. I was like, oh, it just was watching me once my food. So I got out of my tent, looked at my pack, nothing was on my pack. And it was, pitch dark outside so I just been slowly like scanning the area with my headlight and then the the animal the, the mountain lion was sitting on the trail just staring at me and I froze so my mind what it was processing was I was completely terrified and but in my mind I'm like this has to be a deer Mm. right like I'm trying to tell myself this is what I'm telling myself but you know reflecting on this this moment is I I've seen hundreds of deer while hiking the Pacific Crest Trail it's not scary I've seen them at night they've been outside my tent they have certain behaviors or whatever but I got out and I knew in my mind that was a mountain lion I mean it's sitting there it was right there I, I could have like stepped like 10 feet and pet pet it mm-hmm. it was right there and I, I don't even know if I've ever seen a, a deer sit before. Have you? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, so, I don't, I don't think so. Like, but in my mind, I was so scared, you know, you can't like think straight. So I, 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 ch- I literally charged it and like cussing at it. And it, it literally like just stands up. Um, and it, it kind of like walked back and jumped over a log and I'll never forget it. I'm like, can deer, can deer jump like that? <laughs> you know, just like the motion of it. I mean, it was yeah. like a cat, but I, I was terrified. So there was a hiker that I, I, or I passed a tent like half a mile before my tent or something. So I kept my, my front facing the animal and I slowly started walking backwards on the trail with this knife and this rock in my hand. And I'm just watching it and it's just staring at me. And yeah, I had these like big, like green eyes and I'm just walking backwards. And my plan was to go wake this hyper up and just, I have him save me. I don't know. I was that scared. And so as I'm like walking to this other guy's tent, I, I kind of just stopped. I couldn't see the animal anymore because I'd walked enough on the trail. And I was like, what am I going to do when I get to the other person's tent? I'm just going to be like, oh, come sleep with me and the mountain lion. Or you know (laughs) what I'm saying? I'm like, I, I had no plan. I'm like, this is, I'm so scared, but I need to just face it. I remember looking up at the stars and I could see, I could see so many of the stars and I was just trying to be like, it's going to be okay. You know, I took a deep breath and then I started walking forward again and I finally got to my tent and the, the mountain lion was a little bit deeper into the woods but it was still watching my tent and i just looked at it and i'll just never forget it staring at me and i just was like well i'm i'm getting back into my tent so i'm going to be here and <laughs> i got into my tent and i literally did not sleep for one second and i played music on my phone out loud all night and i literally lied there awake so the next morning when i woke up i was it was interesting because you wake up and, or I didn't wake up, but I got out of my tent and it was light outside and I pack up and I'm I'm just like, you know, on all the other days, you wake up and you're just like, I did it. I made it through the night. Everything's okay. Right. Cause the night's always so scary. So I remember being like, that had to have been a deer. Right. So this is what I'm talking, saying to myself, like that, you know, I've, I've never seen a deer sit like that or jump like that or any of that, but I just, there's no way that I just look face to face at a mountain lion. You, th- so this was, that was my process or my, my thought process that, that morning. Um, but once I started talking to people and, and then like connecting what I was feeling, like I, I got into a town that night and I just broke down sobbing because I knew right? I knew, but mm-hmm. I was still on the trail and I was still by myself. And so you, your mind is trying to help you not go into panic mode. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking? almost like telling yourself lies. And, and, you know, even my mom was like, sweetie, you have seen hundreds of deer. Like you knew, <laughs> you knew that wasn't a deer. You know what I'm saying? Like there, I'll never forget it sitting in front of me. But, um, I think I just, I was so scared. I I, I can't even explain what it was, what it was like to experience that. And so I think I was just really trying to like, get through, get through like that, realizing that there's been a mountain lion at my, at my tent for three nights, you know, like that it's following me. Like I need to, I need to, I need to address this and, and, and make smart decisions.
1: (laughs) And you got into town that, that next day, how long did you stay into town?
0: So I, my mom met me, it was in the town of Quincy. Oh. Um, and I was only, we were only going to stay one night. She, yeah, I'm from Reno, Nevada. So it, it's not that far of a drive from Reno. So it was the last town that I was going to see my family. So it was just going to be a quick night. And then I was going to get out the next day, but I wound up staying an extra night there because like I said, some of my friends were coming into, they're getting into Quincy and I waited for them so I could hike out with them. So stayed, stayed in another night, but um, I hiked out with those friends and there was like six of us at this campground and a mountain lion came to our campground that night.
1: Oh, good Lord.
0: So there was one definitely like stalking me. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it, it felt, it felt good to know that other people experienced that in the sense of like, I'm not crazy,
2: Right.
0: you know, we had.
1: I'm not imagining this.
0: Yes. Like this is, cause I still was like, you know, I don't want to be dramatic. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be cool. I'm like trying to make sure I'm not, I'm not going to scare myself enough to get off trail. But the fact that there was a, a mountain lion at our, at our campground, um, in the middle of the night, it was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not being dramatic. This is, this is actually a problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, that night, we had um, a deer literally, when I say sprint through our, our campground, sprint. Like, it. I don't even know how it didn't knock down our tent. It scared everybody. And then we heard other deer, like, right next to our our tents, they, they do this, like, deep breathe, uh, breathing thing where they're, like, inhaling and exhaling extremely loud. And it's, like, one of their ways of, like, um, communicating to other deer, like, You're in danger, something's wrong, we're scared. And then we had the deer sprinting through. And so we're like, okay, well, what are they scared of? It had to be like a mountain lion. And then myself and two other hikers heard like methodical pacing for hours, like branches breaking, just something pacing back and forth. And so some people woke up and they're like, yep, starburst, that was a mountain lion. And so that wasn't just a mountain lion, that was your mountain lion. See, that was mine. Yeah. I was like that. That's what I've been dealing with. And so, um, that day, actually you crossed I crossed after the town of Belden, you cross a huge river, um, like massive, uh, with, you know, big bridge or whatever. And I'm like, I, I think this is, I think I'm safe because I bet it's ba- obviously it's boundary. It's territory probably ends at the river. And if it wants to swim across the river and get me, it can have me, but you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I think I was like, I think I'll be okay. So I didn't have any other instances from from that point. So yeah, it was a pretty terrifying, um you know, week, but, but that's, that's nature. Like, there's mountain lions from the beginning of the PCT till the end. And that's just a part of it, you know? Yeah.
1: So once you crossed the river, you felt okay going off on your own again?
0: Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah, I was still scared. I still try right. to actually Relative. intentionally sleep with people, like um, like camp with them, and uh, but I I kind of felt like the the odds of mm-hmm. a mountain lion
1: coming towards my tent is is unlikely. Right. I'm telling you, shark movie, shark movie, ocean. I
0: know it's not you. <laughs> you. Yeah. Oh gosh, it's, it's It can be pretty scary, but you know. The, the the good
1: outweighs the bad, right? Yeah. Oh definitely. What did from that experience, I mean that I, I have to assume that that is probably the most scared you've ever been in your entire life. Yeah, just about. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Facing that, going through that, and then getting back out there still and camping by yourself and all of those things. How has that kind of changed you, changed your perspective on what you do, and how you do it?
0: Well, that was obviously a really big decision for me. But at the same time, I kept telling myself, like, that's why I was out, out Mm -hmm. there doing that. Because I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to put myself in uncomfortable situations so that I could try to overcome them because I was getting to this point in my life where I I hadn't really felt very challenged, you know, in the recent years. And so that was the whole point was knowing that this isn't going to go smoothly. It's going to be hard. I'm probably going to be scared. I didn't know what it looked like, but for me, it was so important that I got back on trail right where, I, right where I picked off because like that's what I was doing for myself out there. It was, it was for my own personal, uh, experience, my own personal gain. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Like it wasn't for other people, but it just made me, made me really like proud of myself, like really proud and just really excited about the fact that like yeah that was probably one of the most I've ever been in my life but I'm gonna continue anyway and so it just kind of puts a lot of other little tiny fears or anxieties at bay it's just kind of like oh gosh like I don't even need to worry about these things anymore I've got bigger (laughs) problems but I've I've overcome them and and it it was just really cool how like strong I felt
1: right be honest yeah perspective
0: yeah, it, it totally changes your perspective. You know, a lot of people use analogies in life about, you know, climbing mountains and mm-hmm. facing fears. But, like, on the Pacific Crest Trail, like, you're actually literally doing that. <laughs> you're literally, <laughs> like, climbing yeah. mountains and, you know, and and um, facing these lions. And it, it was just wild. I'm like, this is, people use these things as metaphors, but I, I'm actually doing it. and And I'm still okay. Mm-hmm. I'm still okay. So yeah, it, it, it totally changes your brain on, for me, at least on trying not to to be so anxious or scared about little things or just understanding that I'm not in control of a lot,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know? And so to just kind of be, you know, putting into a full circle of even being vulnerable to the trail itself, it just makes, it makes it easier if you're not as rigid.
1: Yeah. I I could see it giving you or giving one piece with with the, I can control what I can control and the rest of it I'll deal with when it comes. Right.
0: And I think that's exactly it. Like learning to not worry about things that haven't happened yet or may never happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just take things for... Or when they come or if they come and right. something like a through hike, there's so many different things that could happen with <laughs> <Yes>. animals, <laughs> with weather, with people like there really is, you know, and it just was like, most of it is not going to happen to you. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, why, why worry about something that um, you that ha- hasn't happened yet and may never happen, you know? And I don't know. It's like the second you step foot in the wilderness,
2: there's animals
0: everywhere you don't know that they're watching Mm -hmm. you and but what are you going to do about it like the mountain lion is one of the best hunters in the world it's it's only going to present itself to you if it if it wants to like there's nothing you can do to know if it's there or not you know what I'm saying so it's like right you know it's like if you want to be out there you just gotta you you just gotta like try to push that to the back of your mind
1: (laughs) yeah yeah now, even though you are a solo hiker, you were a solo hiker. You didn't necessarily start by yourself. No, yeah,
0: <laughs> my, my good <laughs> old father father started uh, started with me for a few days, <laughs> and that
1: seemed to cause you some some stress as well because you were worrying about him a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean we we laugh about it now, but. That was just an interesting thing because my my dad is a is a former Green Beret, like special forces guy. And so I'm like, he just knows everything about the woods. He's just going to be kicking my butt. But what I found out was like, Green Berets don't sleep in tents. They don't <laughs> use jet boils. He didn't know how to do any of that. And so I was having to set up my tent and setting his tent up and then cooking us both food and filtering all the water. And it was just like, it was just funny because I thought he was going to be this like guy yelling at me to hurry up, up on Mm -hmm. the hill. And it was just like more so of him, like breaking, breaking his trekking poles, you know, (laughs) couldn't set his tent up. And I was like, this is not how I pictured my first few days on the Pacific rest Trail. But I'm glad we did it together, and he's still adamant that him and I have to kind of do a, a redo experience at one point.
1: So get back out there and
0: yeah, he needs to. He, it was much harder to him than he was expecting, even in the first mm-hmm. few days. Um, it was it's very hot, and there's a like usually most people at least on their first day, first or second day, there's like there's a canyon you get into. And it's just like a frying pan and there's no water and it was so hot and it was like, there was all these hills and, and he had a much harder time than he was expecting. And so he's, he was disappointed in himself. And so, so he, he wants to get back out and kind of redeem himself for sure.
1: (laughs) But the experience did seem to turn him into a trail angel or a wannabe trail angel.
0: Oh, total, total trail angel. He actually has done some like trail angel work. Even this past year, he went and helped out with a group at Ebbets Pass. It's in California. And he was giving hikers rides like hours one way, food, you know, just helping them out. And so he's totally addicted to it now.
1: <laughs> yeah. So through your experience, you've uh, added a new dimension for him. Oh, totally! Yeah. I guess circling back to your to your videos, did you ever end up actually forgetting something, or did you always remember that you forgot something and were able to get back and get it, or did that stop after the first couple weeks? <laughs> oh
0: gosh, um, I'm only remembering two times where I forgot my trucking poles. It could have been more, but there's only two times that are popping up in my brain. But yeah, sometimes at a little restaurant cafe, I forgot my trekking poles. And then another time I left my trekking poles, like leaned up against a tree. And then,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, you're, you're walking for a couple miles or something. And then you're like, wait, this doesn't seem right. <laughs> and so then you have to go all the way back. And um, I had to get my trekking poles. Um, but. Usually, I I was actually pretty good about it, though. You know, you you get in a really good routine. Like I said earlier, you're doing the same thing every day. So it becomes very abnormal if if you miss something because you're so used to, you know, having your certain, like, morning routine. But, yeah, it it really sucks leaving something behind (laughs) because you don't even want to go, like, 0.2 miles extra than you have to. Even yeah. to get water. Um, and so I've contemplated just leaving my trucking poles. <laughs> um, I'll get new ones in the town, the next town. But for me, my trucking poles hold at my tent. So I kind of so needed you were those.
1: Stuck. Unless you decide yeah. to cowboy camp.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cowboy camping is awesome, but definitely didn't do that much after the mountain
1: lion thing either. So <laughs> you were having some issues with the altitude. Is that Correct? Yeah, I mean I, I was
0: having some minor issues. Like I, I never got out of sickness, but it, it definitely made me extremely exhausted for sure.
1: So And was that it was
0: just, No go for it. Oh, I was just I was just gonna say like once once you really got into like the Sierra Nevada and you were at a steady like eleven thousand twelve thousand 13,000 feet elevation for for a while your miles that you could normally do were just dropping a lot and you know a lot of people would would warn you and like oh once you get into the higher elevation you're just gonna be more tired you're not gonna to be able to do as many miles but I didn't realize how much it would affect me and so it yeah it it was pretty challenging for sure and you know getting bloody noses, Mm-hmm. And just being exhausted and, and you're still like, why, why do I feel this way? But it, it, it has to be the altitude.
1: How did you address it? I mean, just, you just lived with it and. Um... Yeah.
0: <laughs> so there was one day that I, and it wasn't even like we were, I was going like that. I wasn't that high in elevation yet, but there was just one day and it was just my, my nosebleeds were just relentless. And I was so tired that I just, I hiked for like seven miles that day. And I just was taking naps. I I had to listen to my body. I couldn't do it. I literally couldn't do it. No matter how much I ate, how much I drank, how much I, how many breaks I took, I just couldn't hike. And so when those days happen, I just think it's really important to listen to your body. You know, um, you know, rest if you need to hang out if you need to that that one day, ironically, there was, um, a hiker who was so sick, like actual altitude sickness, like vomiting nonstop. And his buddy actually slack packed the sick hikers pack all the way back to Kennedy Meadows and then, um, so that psychiatrist could just walk back to Kennedy Meadows without his pack. And uh, cause he had to get out of there. It was too much. And so that's when it gets really dangerous. Obviously mm-hmm. if you're, you're, if you're vomiting and having really bad headaches and everything like that. But for me, it was like, I was feeling it. Bloody noses. I was tired, but I was okay. I just needed to kind of adjust for a night or two. And then, um, and then I was fine, but you still are just, Going much slower, you feel like a turtle hiking in the Sierra Nevada. Yeah, I mean you're just you're you don't understand why you're only doing a certain amount of miles an hour when you know three days before you are so much faster. But yeah, it does it does change um, the altitude
1: does change your hiking, but
0: you you do acclimate.
1: How long did it take you to acclimate? Do you think? Um, gosh.
0: I mean, I, I started to feel fine after a couple of days, okay. but you still... Um,
1: you're going to be slower you're still. are still just slower.
0: Kind of yeah, stuff. right. But I felt okay. Like, I, I couldn't really tell a difference, you know? I was just really slow, and there's nothing I could do about it.
1: <laughs> right, right. How long... did Once you left Kennedy Meadows, how long did it take you before you started feeling it? Was it the same
0: day? You or? know what? That's, that's why I, I wasn't sure why this was happening but it was the next day I left Kennedy Meadows that I had that day of just bloody noses and I was so exhausted and so yeah and that's why and that that, that same day was the day that that one guy was so sick as well and so mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there was just something in the air but it was that right after Kennedy Meadows where I just my body just did not like it at all but but then the following days you know, I, I felt much better. I got a good night's sleep, drank a lot of water and I was ready to go.
1: Yeah. And you, water, you weren't having water. Is key. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I, I agree with you. Water is huge on, in those cases, um, let alone being at yeah. high altitude, which, is, which water is important anyway, but.
0: Oh yeah. And, and when I, um, Whitney, I was worried about, you know, me getting altitude sickness, but Mm -hmm. I was actually completely fine because I forced myself, you know, every hour or so to stop, eat, eat a snack and drink a lot of water. Even if I wasn't hungry, even if I wasn't thirsty, because, um, you, you have to be hydrated when you're at that kind of altitude. So I I just made sure to play it really smart and it worked out.
1: It would be really complete tangent here, but it would be really interesting to see how you would react to being at like Machu Picchu or something like that, which is very high elevation as well.
0: Yeah, I know. Do you know what, what that elevation is? Uh,
1: I think the elevation of Machu Picchu is like 10,000 feet and, but Cusco, which is the launching point for uh, getting into Machu Picchu is even higher, actually.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Whitney, is at fourteen five, Okay. But I also wanted to go to Nepal and you know, there <laughs> you're at like 17. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, it. it's just wild. So it's, I, I know a lot of people will try to go, you know, backpacking in Nepal and they're just sick the whole time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like that's not fun. That sounds
1: miserable. Yeah. It stops being an adventure and just being to suffer. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. So I, I know a lot of, a lot of hikers actually felt sick at like 12,000 feet. And so they, they didn't even try Whitney because they're like, if we're already, if we're already this sick, I'm not, I'm not even
1: going to go. So (laughs) it makes sense. And at least they were, at least they were smart enough to make that decision as opposed to say, no, I can't, I'm not going to not see Whitney.
0: Right. And it's like, obviously it's usually our own pride and our own stubbornness, but, But at the same time, sometimes we can be like, oh, everyone else is going to try Whitney. I better, I better try it too. So it was kind of cool to still see people know their limits because no one really cares. You know what I'm saying? Like if someone's like, I'm going to submit Whitney tomorrow. I'm not going to submit Whitney. To me, I'm like, awesome. Cool. You know, (laughs) like you don't care. So it was cool that people like knew their boundaries and they weren't being like prideful about it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, and then there are some people who were completely fine through the hike, and then they, they tried to do Whitney, and then they were, like, vomiting close to the top. So they just turned back around. I'm like, that's the safe thing to do. You don't want to push it because, you know, obviously people die from that stuff.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's such an interesting phenomenon. I mean, obviously, you were doing heavy activity when you hit the Sierras, but uh, a couple of years ago, I did go to Machu Picchu and we had a couple of people in our party who got altitude sickness um, and they weren't being required to do anything. They were just at that altitude and that was all it took.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. And I, I was researching you know, like, you know, why do you get altitude sickness, like how to prevent it. And um, obviously they say, like, if you're in better shape, the chances of you getting altitude sickness are less um, hydration, et cetera. But at the same time, it's like, you just don't know. Some people just, their bodies don't react well. at altitude. Yeah. So you, you kind of don't do even know. It? Right. I mean, how often am I at 14,000 feet? Yeah. Not, <laughs> not often. I, I live on sea level. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: What were you, what were you eating out there? How were, how were you eating out there? Were you stoveless? Were you stove? Um, what were you, you? What were you eating in terms of your meals, snacking, that kind of thing?
0: I went the whole trail without a stove, and I actually didn't even cold soak a lot. So, um, I made that decision because one, I didn't want to deal with getting fuel for, mm-hmm. you know, like my jet boil or my MSR stove or whatever. I did not have to worry about getting fuel. And I, I'm, even though I was hiking all those miles every day, I'm kind of lazy. You know, I was like, <laughs> I just, I just felt like I didn't want to have to cook and heat up my food and find water for my food for every single meal. I just thought like me through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, it was a lot about being intentional and efficient. And that was part of it of waking up, you know, packing up and getting something to eat real quick because I could make my coffee and make my breakfast and I could sit there for an hour, hour and a half enjoying my, each morning, which sounds really lovely. But for me on a through hike, that's, that's not what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? If I, if I'm going to go camping this weekend, I'm going to bring my stove and you know, I'm, I'm going to enjoy a hot meal and everything, but I would never get to Canada if I brought a stove because I would just be like enjoying every morning um, for hours of coffee. And, you know, you can't, you can't do, you, it's hard to do big miles if you're doing that every day. You know what I'm right. saying? So anyway, so I just, I didn't bring a stove. Um, I just like the efficiency of it. And I ate a lot of, uh, basically every, every time I went out, I had tortillas tuna packages or sausage and then I'd have cheese and avocado and I'd make wraps every day. And then, um, you know, and then I'd run out of the cheese and the avocado and then I would just be putting chips in my tortilla with tuna. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, sometimes I'd, I'd pack out some fruit. So I always try to pack out fresh things, you know, and I eat that in the first couple of days. So, you know, the avocado and, you know, an apple and orange, et cetera. And then always had some sort of, you know, like chips or goldfish or something, Snicker bars, uh, and then I ate a lot of Cliff bars. I never got sick of them, so that that was a, a good majority of my
1: food. As I say, so were you? Each meal, were you like three meals of the day, and each of those meals was a tortilla with something.
0: No. So basically, um, in the morning, I would usually pack up and start hiking. And then as I start hiking, I would eat a, eat a cliff bar. And then I would maybe two hours later, eat um, some fruit, maybe another cliff bar. And then my lunch was my biggest meal of the day. I would probably eat like a couple thousand calories there. Oh, wow. And I'd eat about probably two wraps. Mm -hmm. two tortillas wrapped with, like I said, tuna or sausage, cheese and avocado. And then I usually eat some chips. And then, um, as I'm walking out, like, you know, packed up, packed up and hiking out again, I would probably eat some like Sour Patch Kids or something. And then it was like a couple hours later, eat another cliff Bar. And then usually I try to plan my days. Like if I had a big, big climb at the end of the night. I'd eat a Snickers bar as I was going up the climb. And then I want to eat dinner until I set at my tent. So sometimes I want to be till like eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And at that point, maybe I'd have some like cold mashed potatoes or cold couscous. Or sometimes I just shovel some spoonfuls of peanut butter in my mouth and go to bed. <laughs> that, that, was pretty much a, that was pretty much what my, my day looked like with eating.
1: It it sounds like at the end of the day, for obvious reasons, you're pretty exhausted. And so it was simple is better.
0: Yes. For me, I was, I just didn't want to have to deal with, you know, getting down, you know, getting my stove out and then, you know, what if you don't have enough water and you need to go find water for your meal and then having it cook up, you know, heat up and cook it and let it soak. And, oh, it just was like, and sometimes you're so tired that, like, you don't even eat dinner. And if anything, I'm just going to eat a eat a cliff Bar or put some peanut butter in my mouth. And then that was good. Because for me, it was just about getting nutrients in my body. It wasn't right. about eating really good-tasting food. It was about just eating something that could make me feel like I could keep going.
1: Right. So. You wanted calories. Yes. Yeah. Which, actually, now that you say all of that, it kind of makes sense. Because I was noticing in, in your in your videos again that you were, you weren't mentioning having hiker hunger until about day 40 something, which is kind of late in the scheme of when people usually talk about starting to have hiker hunger.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it was because I was just, I always had too much food. I was the person that had excess food. So I was eating like a lot. And so I think it was just, I don't know. I think my body was just not in like starvation mode. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Because people were t- was talking about like hyper hunger a lot and I just like didn't have it. And then one day, like you, you know, when you have it <laughs> because you're so ravaging hungry, like you'll wake up in the middle of the night at 2.00 AM and be panicking. Like you need food uh-huh. and you're, you're just shoving food into your mouth because your body like almost was like in so much pain. Cause you're like starving, even though maybe you just ate like four hours before it was just, it was just like, you're so hungry and then you'll be eating food and you'll eat like a huge double burger and then it didn't even feel like you ate anything. So that that's when I knew I had higher hunger. But yeah, <laughs> it took me it took me a bit longer than other people, but I did notice that I I packed out more like fresh food than other people. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I had something to do with that.
1: Yeah, and you also seemed like with your avocado and stuff like that, you had some good fats and and things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was still like, not like a bunch of like junk food and, um, you, you still have some of that and it's good to have sugar. Like your body needs that when you're, when you're hiking that much, you know, but Mm -hmm. I I needed to eat some fresh food. I I, (laughs) I can't do the like ramen and mashed potatoes every day, but that was just
1: me. Once the hiker hunger hit, was it basically kind of there for the rest of the hike or did it kind of come and go?
0: Um, for me, I think it, it came and went obviously it just depended on like how hard the hiking was. So, um, yeah, but it it was pretty much there. And then even about a month after I stopped hiking, (laughs) which is a problem, (laughs) but yeah, your body just basically gets used to like, okay, so this is how many calories you're burning every day. This is how much you need to be putting into your body, Mm -hmm. you know? So
1: how was that? Finishing the trail, coming off trail, still having hiker hunger. You're not as active anymore. Um, how how was both the hunger side of it, but also the you're not moving your body. How does your feet feel? How do your legs feel? How do you feel uh, overall? Yeah. So my
0: my feet and my knees and everything hurt so bad for at least six weeks after the oh, hike. Wow. It was almost like, you know, every morning when you're hiking the trail, you're, you feel like your feet are broken and then it takes, it takes like some time for the blood to get flowing and then you're fine. But it, it felt like that, like I said, six weeks after. And, um, that was bad because I wasn't hiking, but you could just tell how much my body like hated me. (laughs) But with, with the hyper hunger thing, um, it, it was it was interesting because I knew that I couldn't eat 4,000 calories a day. Right. You know, cause now I'm sitting at my office. yes. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I can't, like my body doesn't need those calories. And so thankfully I have a good relationship with food. So it, it was kind of like, I knew that I don't need 4,000 calories today to sustain my body because I'm not expending any energy, but it was hard because, I was so hungry still. So I just had grace with myself. And even though I ate more calories than I needed, but it was like a logical decision. If that makes, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: Yeah. Like I, like I knew, Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna say, did you kind of wean yourself down or give yourself treats or like somehow balance it? Yeah. Basically I did just that. Like I weaned
0: myself down. Like I knew like I didn't have an exact number, but Mm -hmm. I I knew how much I was eating on the trail. And so I, I would, you know, eat like what I would have eaten before I left for the hike and plus maybe an extra meal at first. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I I would, if I was like completely famished and starving, I needed to eat something. Obviously, even if I wasn't hiking 30 miles a day, my body is telling me that it, it needs calories, but like, you have to listen to your body. If it's super hungry, you have to eat. But then there was like this point of like, I just ate two <laughs> huge sandwiches at my office desk. I know that like what I'm feeling is not actually hunger,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, so you, you start to learn things from your body and you're like, it was, it was actually hard because, you know, I wanted to keep eating and you know I did I did gain my weight back kind of quickly but it was it was good it it was you know good healthy weight and I felt you know between that and then my joints starting to feel better I was turning more into like a, a regular human being again <laughs> Yeah so and then I, my body obviously now is completely like adjusted everything's everything's back to normal <laughs>
1: You haven't had any lingering I wouldn't even call them issues, but just lingering results. Right.
0: No, not, not that I can think of. Nope. Just a lot of wanderlust of wanting to be on the trail. That's
1: the (laughs) only thing. So from what I understand that that is a common occurrence. Yeah. I mean, you know, that people say like, oh, you
0: get one tattoo and then you'll be covered in them because it's addicting. (laughs) And I just kind of feel like that's what, that's what this kind of is. It's, it's, um, it's something that changes or it can change your life. And yeah, it just is like, you want more of it. You know, to me, it's almost like, that's, that's how I want to, that's how I want to live my life, you know, feeling that, experiencing that. And so I'm, I'm going to do my best to, to, to feel that again, you know, life is so short and we mm-hmm. say that and it's cliche, but it's, it's the truth. It's, yeah. it's, one of the most wild experiences I've ever had. And I feel like I've done some pretty wild things. So <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my hope is to just continue to share with people so, so that they could potentially experience it one day. You know, I, I think it makes, makes you a better human being. And um, we, you know, we could use a lot more of that, a lot more happier people and, you know, people going after their dreams and doing what they want. And I think a lot of people want a through hike, but they don't know how or don't know where to start or they're scared. And so, you know, I I do hope that like, I can even share a little bit with other people to inspire them to, to go after if they want, because it, it was that powerful for me. You know, it can be like that for other people.
1: Yeah. What about it? And you kind of, I think, probably have answered it a little bit along the way. But what about the hike and finishing the hike and facing the fears that you faced while you were on the hike has changed how you live your life moving forward?
0: It's just like you You got to, you know, you can't. What am I trying to say? It's just. <laughs> There's just like, it's just so hard to put in words because it's like things have, some things have so much more meaning and other things have less meaning. But to me, mm. it's like the important things have gained more meaning and like the trivial things have lost a lot of it, their significance. And so I've learned how to say no to people, you know, like I, I will stretch myself thin and I'm a yes woman. And I came back from trail and I just was like, I can't do that anymore. I have boundaries. This is drive me insane. I'm too stressed. And so I've really learned like what I need to be like a healthy, functional human being. And I've learned to say no or, you know, even, even things like that has really been great for me. And um, it's really motivated me to like pursue things that maybe scare me or that I'm worried that other people will judge me for, but it's what I truly want to do. And I just am, I'm, I'm, I'm more fearless with that. And, um, and then you see all the kindness on the trail, particularly from the trail angels and like strangers. And it just, it just shows you and reminds you how incredible it is for people to just, you know, give out of, you know, their own heart. And so, it's encouraged me to do more of that in my life. It doesn't even have to be on the trail, you know, it's just in life in general. And so it's just really, really helped me like put a lot of really good things back into perspective.
1: It's, it's helped you make conscious choices. Yeah. Be more intentional for sure. How again, tangenting off again, so, so you've been warned. Yeah. Um, you. Yeah. <laughs> how was hitchhiking for you, particularly since you were primarily a solo hiker?
0: Oh, uh, it was, <laughs> to be honest, it was, it was scary sometimes. Um, it's a very unnatural thing to do because there, I got in cars with solo men more than any, any other demographic. And it was just very, strange to know like I'm hitchhiking I'm a solo woman and I'm getting in a vehicle with a man that I don't know but I really this is just this isn't advice because you can't tell anyone to to do this but for me I I really just try to trust my gut you know I really like in the first 10 seconds of like let's say a car pulled over and someone rolled down their window and this man was like hey where do you need to go? I can give you a ride. I could, I felt like I could really feel, um, you know, if I felt like safe or not. And, um, there was a couple of times where I didn't feel safe and I, I, I just, you know, left the situation, but overall it, it was, it was great. Obviously I'm still here, (laughs) you know, nothing (laughs) happened, but what's, what's great about like the, the trail is that a lot of these people who are giving these rides, they, they know PCT hikers, um, a lot of times, like they'll roll down their window and they'll say, Hey, I just gave some, a ride to, and they'll name off some hikers. And so you're like, Hey, it just was like, all right, I, I feel better about getting in the car or you, you it's always like want to be aware. Yeah. So, yeah, basically I'm like, like, how do you know where we're going? Like you've obviously done this before, but I, I would try to buddy up with people if I could, you know, obviously it's just safer, but, um, you just always have to trust your gut. You know, you can always say no, you don't ever have to get in the car with someone. Um, if, if you feel uncomfortable, just, you know, wait for some other hikers or something, you know, or, um, there, I, I haven't heard of really many bad stories of hitchhiking on the trail. Of course, there's a few weird and uncomfortable situations, but it was pretty good. I, I had a good experience.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you came to the trail with the awareness or was that something that developed while you were on the trail and as you started to do the hitchhiking thing?
0: Oh, I I feel like I've always had that. Like um I mentioned earlier my you know, my dad's like a former special forces whatever and so he's always been very my whole life just has taught me not to be paranoid, but just to mm-hmm. be aware. And so I've I've always just had that instilled in me. So I feel like I've always You know, made pretty smart decisions, even if they seem crazy to other people. I'm like, no, I, you know, I put thought into this and it wasn't just some impulsive decision, you know? So yeah. And I also had, um, my Garmin in reach and that was always tracking. And so, you know, I also thought like, you know, God forbid something were to happen. Um, it's tracking me and therefore it'd be tracking like if something, something bad happened. So. You know, it, it, you don't want to think like that, but, you know, you, you have to sometimes, so.
1: But you are out there by yourself, fill in the blanks. <laughs> right. Yes. And, but, you know,
0: I lived in downtown Seattle and would walk around, you know, to and from my mm. place at night by myself. And, you know, crazy things can happen there when we drive, when we travel anywhere. And so that's just kind of my mentality. Like you just never know what's going to happen. So, you know, just try to make smart decisions and, and then try not to be too, too freaked out
2: (laughs) by all
1: of the doom, all of the doom that could occur. (laughs) All of the different ways. Yes. (laughs) So you were using your Garmin inReach or I saw that hooked on your pack. Were you also using gut hooks on your phone?
0: So my, my Garmin inReach was was a secondary GPS because I, I did get lost a couple of times and my Guthook app was kind of, you know, twitching out. And so I, I would use my Garmin inReach, but that was for a lot of just texting and tracking purposes. Um, and then I used the Guthook app for, you know, the trail and campsites and water resources and all of that.
1: And did you find that the water resources, the updates were happening, were pretty uh, correct, pretty on target?
0: Um, for the most part, the there's like a another like water report that you can download before you're hiking, so you can get like a more accurate list of like how the water resources are are at, like what level they're at and everything. But the Gut Hook app is solely Basically, it's, you're relying on other hikers to be updating it. Right. Um, it'll have like, in, in the app, it'll have like, this is a very reliable source of water. Like, it's a massive river. It's never been dried up. It's going to be there. Then they have water resources that are like, it'll say, uh, this isn't that reliable, but then you check on the comments from other hikers. And so there were, there were times when a water source, like, update hadn't been input in a couple weeks and the last entry was that it was full and then I had gotten there and there was nothing and so um those those kinds of apps really work best if if the hikers are contributing to it so that that only happened a few times so I would never I would never put in an entry unless something had changed from the last report so but I, I think I think for the most part hikers were pretty good about doing that. Right. So I, I I never actually looked at the the official water report that people downloaded. I used
1: hook the whole oh. time. Okay. Yeah, but that's it, not like advice I'd give to somebody, but that's what I did. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But like you said, it all depends. It's all dependent upon the community doing the updates and and spreading the word essentially through.
0: Right. Yeah. And so uh, it's really easy to use gut hook. And like I said, most of the time it was pretty, pretty accurate. People did a good job about, you know, commenting if something was dried up or slow or if the stream was slowing down. Um, So there was a couple of times when I thought there was going to be water and there wasn't, and I was absolutely miserable, but yeah, you got
1: to plan for that kind of thing. (laughs) How did you plan for that kind of thing? Oh
0: gosh, you just, chugging cold water when you're thirsty is like the best feeling in the whole world. And you just can't do that when you're hiking the trail, especially the year that I hiked, there wasn't much water because it wasn't a big snow year. So mm-hmm. on the other end of that was we had longer stretches of no water. And so you just had a ration in your water. And when you were thirsty, um, And you knew you had like a full liter of water, like you just wanted to chug the whole thing, but you know, you have to have it last for like 20 miles. It was, it was really hard, but you, you have to just use that discipline. So, um, it was hard. Like, you know, maybe I would get to a point when, like where I thought there would be water and I still, I still maybe had like half a liter or something and I purposely saved it just in case just in case that source didn't have water, but I got there and, you know, there was no water and I still had to go another six miles on a half a liter of water. And I was already terribly thirsty. So it's pretty challenging at times. It's, it's kind of funny, you know, you're that I put myself in the situation, like just the fact that I was out there hiking and literally feel like I'm dying of thirst when I could just be like at home watching movies, you know, it's kind of comical, but But yeah, you you have to plan for that stuff because it can get dangerous. You know, you you definitely can get heat exhaustion. Like it's a serious thing. (laughs) So yeah, you you never want to be, you never want to rely on those things too much. So that's what I mean. Like you just got to plan for if, if something isn't like how it was documented.
1: Right, right. Always have a reserve something. Yes, even if it's so hard
0: to not chug at all. You you need to try.
1: (laughs) Yeah. How did you get your trail name? Starburst.
0: Um, I got it actually pretty early on and it was basically, I just have a ton of colorful gear and clothing and yeah, people just started calling me like rainbow or Skittles or whatever, but (laughs) Starburst stuck. And I like that the best, but people call me Starburst and a lot of people actually call me whimsy. Actually. Whimsy, you know, because my, you know, my blog name is The Whimsical Woman, but a lot of people call me Whimsy. (laughs) So, but Starburst is my uh, official trail name.
1: It was really sweet to see, like, when you got to the monument at Manning, uh, that somebody had put the, that, I guess, card, so to speak, in the, in the box.
0: Yes, those, um, Those are two sisters from Canada and I I don't know them personally, but they had been following my journey and they, they wrote me that there was, they they actually left that card there. And then they left me a, um, a gift at Manning Park. Oh, wow. Like an actual gift. So they actually went, dropped that off for me. And then they hiked in those nine miles, like one way to, to drop that poster. And yeah, it's that stuff just, It makes me cry because, you know, I don't know these two women, but they just wanted to really encourage me and it was, it was incredible. So yeah, it, it was a wild ride. So, (laughs) and then to end it with something like that was just pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and it, it, perspective shift, what you were doing and how you were documenting what you were doing Affected them, impacted them, inspired them Yeah, so much that they, as you say, hiked the nine miles in and, and nine miles back out again.
0: Yeah. Just to leave me a, a laminated poster. Yeah. But it's not, but it's, yeah, it's not just a laminated poster. You know, it was just, it was the whole act itself. And when I started to film all my videos, um, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and and it, they weren't meant to be fancy and I just was I rambled a lot and but I I just wanted to show my journey and it was for me and my family and so for it to affect other people and encourage other people it just it actually meant more to me than anything so that was really yeah that was so special yeah they left me a really cool gift at Manning Park that I opened up um as I ate ate my first hot meal in the real world so (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool.
1: Did you hear much from the world at large, like responding to your videos and things like that as you were hiking?
0: Yeah. And, you know, people were sending me messages and emails a lot, but it was really hard for me to, to check up on all of them. And so I'm sure I probably missed some, but yeah, so many people were sending me a lot of just encouraging messages, you know, just either thanking me or just telling me congratulations. So the, you know, on online can, can get pretty nasty. Yeah. You know, there's trolls everywhere. But overall, like the the community, the hiking community has just been so so encouraging and just really overwhelming in a good way.
1: It's a it's a good family to have. Yes. Yep. It is. <laughs> did you get your permit through P- the PCTA? Yes, I did. Did that now you were mentioning in those last videos about the permit for Canada. Was that all kind of part of the same package, so to speak, or was that something separate that you had to do?
0: So those are two separate things. Um, you have your hiking permit to hike the PCT, and then if you want to go into Canada and basically get home from Canada, you have to fill out a separate form, which is the PCT like Canada entry form. Um, it's all on the PCTA's website, but if for whatever reasons um, you don't want to go into Canada, um, you you just have to kind of backtrack on the PCT a bit.
2: Right. Um,
0: but a few extra Yeah, miles. Like my, yeah just a few. Um, <laughs> but you know, because some people I don't know, like if their visas are mixed up or you know people just mm-hmm. forgot to do the the Canada entry permit, like it's not too big of a deal. But you do have to do it um, a certain time frame ahead of time because like Canada's like embassy, basically they have to like approve it. Like their border patrol has to say, yes, we will allow this person entry, you know? So it, I think a lot of people, um, forgot to do it. So I just did mine basically at the same time as my, um, PCT permit.
1: So, oh, okay. So you can do it at the same time and just kind of knock out both of those things at once.
0: Yeah, I mean, you might have to wait a little bit cuz your your permit has to get um, your PCT permit has to get approved and everything. So once I oh. got that and you know, once you pick your date cuz you have to put your, your the date that you'd be entering Canada potentially, you just estimate. Um, so once you get all that done, yeah, you can do it. So I did it before I started my hike and then I printed it off and carried it with me the whole way.
1: How so. good how close was your your entry estimate? Oh gosh, I took, well,
0: I wanted to do the, the trail five months and it took me about five and a half because I took a lot of side adventures. I zeroed a lot. Um, but yeah, so I was off a couple of weeks, but that doesn't really matter. They just kind of want, want to get a, get a ballpark, you know? So if you, if you say like, oh, it's going to take me five months to hike the PCT, you know, you you pick your, your start date and just go five months from there. So, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah. What was your best, most memorable time or moment on trail?
0: Oh gosh, that's such a hard question. (laughs) Um, What comes to mind? See that one of the first things was Whitney, even though that's not the Pacific Crest Trail, but that's still kind of like part of the trail for me for a lot of for a lot of reasons um and then the the very last day not just because it was the last day that I was on trail but it was probably one of the most beautiful because Mm -hmm. the days leading up to it there was just crazy rainstorms and snowstorms and people were having to turn around because they they got like frostbite and uh, it was low freezing and, you know, everything was frozen when you woke up and everyone was miserable because it was, everything was soaking wet and then freezing. And I was so cold. And so we had a massive snowstorm the second to last day. And I didn't even know if I was going to like survive the night because it was that cold. And I didn't have like a lot of warm stuff. So when I woke up and it just was the last day of trail, it was, the most beautiful blue skies with like over a foot of fresh snow in the back country. Like you're, you're hiking and you're making like the first steps in this fresh snow. And it was just the most beautiful day I think I had on trail. But then the fact that it was my last day just made it, made it the best.
1: How was your sleep system for that?
0: <laughs> oh gosh. So I, I use, um, a Thermarest Z-Lite pad, you know, those like yellow and yeah. silver little, okay, accordion style pads. So that, that's what I, I used. Um, and then at the end of the trail, you know, I slept on that thing for so long, it was basically like, I'm just sleeping on the ground. So I didn't have an inflatable pad or anything like that because obviously that adds extra insulation and it's warmer and it keeps you off the ground. So. I just had a little pad and then my 15 degree sleeping bag and just some some thermals and that was it.
1: <laughs> so how how was the the sleeping bag and or what was the sleeping bag? Um I started
0: off with a, a actually it was a 15 degree Nemo Rave. I'd used that sleeping bag for years. Um absolutely love it, but then because i have had it for so long in the middle of the the hike it, it wasn't as warm anymore. I bought a, I think it's actually 17 degree, but it's an REI magma sleeping bag. And it's a little bit lighter than my Nemo rave one. Um, but it was pretty good. Um, I just, I like to spread my legs when I'm sleeping and the, the REI magma has a smaller toe box, uh, which is where they cut on a lot of weight, but I felt like constricted in it sometimes, but, but for warmth, it it was good. I mean, it, it, it kept me alive 17 degree I I think so yeah yeah okay. it's it's hard though because there's so many factors that go into that you know
2: yeah.
0: so yeah it was it kept me warm but also sometimes like if you're hiking and you're wet and you're just cold inside there's it takes a lot to get yourself warm again so even though my bag was 17 degrees sometimes I was still just pretty cold but usually um even if I fell asleep and I was cold, my body would warm up within a couple of hours while I was sleeping. So I think it, I think it did pretty good.
1: Yeah. That is one of the things that I'm, that I'm concerned about or really, you know, thinking a lot about is the, the rating that, that the companies give their bags versus how does it actually work out on the trail? Um, Right. No, I was going to say, is it 17 degrees comfortable or is it 17 degrees I'll keep you alive?
0: Oh, gosh. I, this was comfortable. This was good. Because okay. um, those nights that I'm talking about were like single digit degrees, you know? So, yeah,
2: um,
0: it was that's why I'm like, you know, even if this is the best sleeping bag in the world, if it's only rated for 17 degrees and it's below 17 degrees out here,
1: you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah,
0: but yeah, I think the, the REI
1: Magma did a good job. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very good to know. Yeah. Is there anything you feel like we haven't talked about, but we should?
0: I don't actually, I think we covered a lot
1: of different topics, which is good. Perfect. I love it. I was just like looking through my, my list here and the only thing that pops out, but I feel like we've talked about it was uh, a quote that you had, um, along the way, that, uh, is, uh, never miss an opportunity that makes you feel alive. Oh, yes. <laughs> but I feel like we've kind of summed that up all the way along the the podcast. So,
0: <laughs> yes, I think so. Like, yeah, that, that actually just makes me smile because it's, it's so true. Yeah. I mean, there's doing something like a through hike will definitely make you feel alive. So, <laughs> You'll, you'll know what I mean after
1: that. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you know what, like, like looking at that, just like looking at each of the words in that and the, particularly the final two feeling alive. I expect that having done the through hike, your definition of what feels alive has changed.
0: Oh yes. I mean, there's so much more to life than just like through hiking you know, and so I, I've really had to like remind myself of that. Um, but I think for me, feeling alive is like just constantly challenging myself and trying new things. And so as long as I'm doing that in every aspect of my life, then I think I think that statement will be true. It doesn't always have to be with a through hike, you know?
1: Exactly. So exactly. You yeah. have you have a new barometer to measure. Yes. Where can people find you if they have additional questions or if they want to follow your continuing adventures?
0: Yeah, um, the easiest way to reach me is on Instagram at The Whimsical Woman. And then, um, yeah, I have a YouTube channel where I post a past, you know, my past hike. And then all my future hikes will be on there at The Whimsical Woman. So pretty easy to remember. (laughs)
1: show notes and links for jennifer's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com special thanks to jennifer for sharing her stories from the trail and maya win for the use of the song try again if you have through hiking adventures to share we'd love to hear them please email me at hiking through podcast at gmail.com or you can also dm me on instagram at hiking through podcast if you like what we're doing here We'd also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.